0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC.
1: Most of what we do comes back to you know, community expectations, social license to operate, what we're really giving back in terms of our organization, not just in you know, delivering profitability now, but also delivering back in how we feel as individuals from a risk and compliance perspective, but just, just more generally, You know, we all want to come to work and do something which is great.
0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor at the GRC Institute, and today we have Simon as a party. Hi, Simon. How are you doing?
1: Well, thanks, Kwame. How about you? Uh,
0: not too bad. So I think we'll just get a bit get started about who you are and where you're from. So tell us a bit about your, your current role and where you're working at the moment.
1: Absolutely. I'm currently the Chief Risk Officer at Petrol. Petrol is one of Australia's largest pet insurance companies. And I've worked within risk and compliance and financial services industry for most of the last 20
0: years. Excellent. So today uh, for our listeners, uh, we're going to be talking very generally about lines of accountability or some people, I guess, will be more familiar with it, known as the lines of defence, um, which is an ongoing debate at the GRC Institute for anyone who's been following our webinars and, and the conference last year. But we should get started, um, Simone, by asking, you know, what, do you understand by the lines of accountability?
1: Thanks Kwame. I think the lines of accountability and, and the three lines of defense before it are really a means of supporting the business to effectively manage risk through, through a governance structure that requires strong risk ownership and accountability. And using that three lines approach, it's about business having that risk ownership. And line two being risk and compliance, being there to provide advisory, support and assurance from a business perspective, and then line three with your internal audit team, providing independent assurance over what both line one and two are doing. I think in terms of the the shift from the lines of defence to the lines of accountability, it's really focusing on that accountability piece and and making it very clear that, that risk ownership sits with all of the lines in their special way and they're all accountable.
0: Sure, and you've already started on it there about that shift from defence to accountability. But I mean, how has the conversation, like very generally, changed over the years around these three lines?
1: I think it's been quite quite an interesting conversation just in the risk and compliance community for some time. Originally, um, the focus on, on risk as something that needed to, to be defended against was very strong. So I think it made sense back then that it was around the three lines of defence because you were opposing an external force and managing risk in your business to make sure that you were able to achieve objectives and, and certainly not miss any regulatory or compliance hurdles that you had in terms of meeting ob- obligations. But that broader piece now coming into it and the increased focus around accountability I think is really important and it aligns to what we've seen within financial services more generally over the years. So we've had a strong call to action initially through the financial services crisis back in 2008 where risk wasn't really effectively managed and businesses might have had risk and compliance professionals. But large businesses overseas that don't have a strong regulatory environment in some cases that we have in Australia were subject to quite significant failures and there were poor, poor community expectations and outcomes as a result of that. I think, on the financial services industry more generally. So the three lines of accountability and that, that shift that we're seeing with regulatory initiatives as well, such as the banking and executive accountability regime, and the financial accountability regime, is really pushing back and, and changing that conversation on one which is about defending against risk and more focusing on, you know, how everybody within the three lines is accountable for managing risk. And pushing back that business accountability, which is really, I think, where it was always intended to be. So in some ways, I think this conversation is about a change in language, but it's also really about changing the approach which we take to risk and compliance management more generally. And making sure that people are clear about where those accountabilities sit and how different the roles can be, because they are quite different between the three lines.
0: And I guess that clarity of accountability is quite significant and really leads into my next question, which is, you know, are there particular challenges in an attempt to sort of implement these lines, I guess, I don't know if correctly is the right thing to say, but in the best way for an organisation?
1: Absolutely. And I think think it's important that you've raised that it's about it being in the correct way for the organisation. And I think as risk and compliance professionals, we've all seen challenges both in implementing the three lines, but also in the way that they're implemented in organizations. Sometimes that can be because there isn't that clarity around the accountabilities and the roles, which which hopefully this change will seek to address. But more generally, you see the blurring across the lines as well. So there's, there's this, you know, what sits within line one and sits within line two can be very different in different businesses historically which takes away from that strength and independence and accountability and the, line, and the role of line two and the role of business ownership in really shaping how they manage and respond to risk. So I think that's quite important. In some areas I've seen where the compliance team is believed to be the owners of compliance risk, for example, and compliance risk is effectively delegated down to them with some senior leaders in some cases saying, that's you know, not understanding that compliance is everybody's responsibility but seeing it as the compliance team's problem to solve. Um, and that's that's not just when issues and incidents come up, but day to day. And that's certainly not what you want to see in a successful business, where there's not that strong understanding of management of compliance risk and it's not owned by the business itself. So I think in terms of the challenges, it's it's one we've all encountered. Um, but it comes it comes back to what you have in terms of governance and that clear vision for what good three lines of look like of accountability, Um, I think we're all going to have to get used to that language there, accountability instead of defence. Looks like in in an organisation, so what is good? Having the the view really where you can lead from the board and from the top leadership of the organisation, so everybody's clear on what three lines are, everyone can speak to it, and it's embedded. Um, Roles and responsibilities are clearly defined, and it it goes all the way through the delegations of authority so people are clear in terms of their decision-making, which pieces sit which, with which area and also understanding the governance and how you measure and monitor the success of what you're doing and some performance metrics sitting across your lines of defence or accountability to understand how it's working and where there are issues and, and from a compliance or a risk professional perspective, take action to address those as you can. But really I think it comes back to the relationships that the, the risk and compliance team in particular hold with the business and how they're willing to drive the culture of the organisation to adopt the three lines, and that's where I see it being most successful. But certainly in terms of challenges to the model, I think we've all seen it, and there are significant challenges, and they always come back to, you know, the the understanding of the organisation of the three lines, the capacity and the capability of the individuals involved. Everybody needs to be able to do their roles and to have enough resourcing to do their roles properly. And also that focus back on culture and leadership.
0: So in a perfect world where you're able to drive the culture successfully and everybody perfectly understands their roles and responsibilities and what they're accountable for, what what would be the opportunity for for an organisation who who meets that criteria perfectly?
1: I think at that point, then risk and compliance management truly becomes an enabler. It's one, it's adding value to the organisation. You've got line one, which is really, really clear on, on how they manage and respond to their roles, They're taking risks and they're potentially taking more risks than they'd otherwise be able to because they know they've got a strong control environment. They refer and and get advice from second line when they need it and second line is there to support them through the development of frameworks and assurance activities to be able to provide that assurance that things are working as expected. And the third line is there from an assurance perspective as well. So I think it really frees a business up. I see it as a strong enabler when it's working really, really well in, in that perfect world. For you know businesses to perform as best they can and, and to be true to their values as well, I think it, it's and from a financial services perspective, most of what we do comes back to you know, community expectations, social license to operate. What we're really giving back in terms of our organisation, not just in you know delivering profitability now, but also delivering back in how we feel as individuals from a risk and compliance perspective, but just just more generally, you know we all want to come to work and do something which is great. So. So getting that strong sense of being in an environment where things are managed appropriately, everyone's clear on their roles, and you're not so concerned about the ethical issues that you might face in an organisation which is struggling with these things.
0: Excellent. So down to the final question, uh, just a bit of, um, maybe we won't use the advice, but use, you know, words of wisdom is probably a safer word to use. <laughs> uh, what words of wisdom do you have for GRC professionals, you know, who are going through this process and trying to implement the three lines and do it to the best way for their organization?
1: Well, I'd actually start with the institute paper, the three lines reimagined. I thought it was a really good paper, and I've revisited it in my preparation for our discussion today. Really useful information for considering what's required for the model to be successful. And then I'd suggest being really, really clear on what the model either is or should be in your organisation. So where you've got an existing model, review what's working, have a look at what's not, and be very clear on your vision for what success looks like, given the organization's size, complexity, business mix and its objectives. Then tailor the model and, and do that gap analysis and start to look at areas that perhaps aren't performing so well or from a change management perspective, where some of your key strengths across the business are and see how you can leverage off those individuals who are really great from an influencing perspective. I think the governance is always key. So if you're starting the model from scratch, it's about getting your documentation, your policies, your roles and responsibilities, committee structures, all those pieces, right? And then finally, back to what I was saying earlier in terms of performance, be really clear on how you measure and monitor the success of the model moving forward getting that regular reporting in place, building those relationships with the business, especially if you're newer, and then really back to the culture of the organisation and tying the three lines of accountability back into the culture. So it just becomes, and risk and compliance becomes part of what everybody does.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Simone.
1: Thanks so much, Kwame. Lovely to chat to you today.
0: This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.